Jesus has taught us to worship and petition our holy, heavenly Father with shameless persistence. You're listening to Wonder Lake Bible Church, building mature followers of Jesus Christ. Find us online at wlbiblechurch.org. Now, here's Pastor Dan Cox with today's message. Today's one of those fire hose messages, so we're going to pull this uh, open here, and, uh, and let's just pray as we go into this that, uh, that, you will, that, that God will speak to you. What is, what is the thing, the one thing that God wants you to take away from our message here today? I want to start off by asking a question here. Think about it. Are you a worrier or a worshiper? Not a warrior, a worrier. Right? Are you a worrier or a worshiper? I think Steve said yes, right? That's uh, probably most of us would say that. Are you a worrier or a worshiper? Yes, right? We can, we can relate on both sides of that there, can't we? But, you know, we, we live in a very busy world. We live in a distracted world. We live in an anxious world. And, you know, it is easy for us to get so busy working on things that are urgent or we think are so urgent that we don't take the time for the things that are important. It's easy for us to get so distracted by everything going on around us that we lose sight of the things that are important. It's easy for us, too, to become anxious, to get anxious about the needs and the concerns both within us and without, that we become consumed by worry instead of worship. So what are these important things? What are these important things in life? Let's say there are many important things, but I want us to focus on what I think are the the three most important things are God, our relationship with God, the kingdom of heaven, and then our relationships with others. So God, the kingdom of heaven, and our relationships with others. So I ask again, are you more of a a worrier or a worshiper? Uh, Today we are beginning a brief series of messages on prayer. Prayer is simply most uh, easily defined as what? Talking with God. So we're beginning a brief series of messages on prayer, talking with God, that I pray will move us out of the camp of worry and into the camp of worship. We're continuing then in this study here called Unique, the Life, Death, and Resurrection of Jesus Christ, in which it is a harmony of the Gospels. We are taking the messages from Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John and putting them together to tell the one story of the life of Jesus Christ called One Perfect Life. It suggested this arrangement here by John MacArthur, that book One Perfect Life. Today then, the topic then, prayer, teach us to pray focusing in on worship, worship in prayer. Our text is from Luke chapter 10, verse 38, through chapter 11, verse 13. So that's Luke 10, 38, through 11, 13. And I know we're going to have a lot of things coming at us here today, but here is the critical thought I want us to take away, not only today, but also next week and the week after that and the week after that. We're going to spend some time in this passage here, which the disciples asked Jesus, Lord, teach us to pray. Well, I'm praying that he will teach us to pray as well through this. And here is the critical theme. You might as well memorize it right now because you're going to be seeing this a lot over the next few weeks here. And that is Jesus has taught us to worship 
and petition our holy heavenly Father with shameless persistence. Okay, who here who is maybe taken back a little bit there? Wait, wait a minute. I was with you there. You know, okay, worship and petition that is asked things of our holy heavenly Father with what? Shameless persistence. Where does that come from? Well, believe it or not, we know that he wants us to be persistent in prayer, but it's actually so persistent, we might even translate that as saying with shameless persistence. Shameless, to be so eager to go before God and to not quit, to keep going before He wants us to come to him like that, persistently, not quitting, not giving up. So these are the themes that we're going to be touching on over the next few weeks here. But starting off in Luke chapter 10, verse 38, a little context for our text here first. This first scripture passage is from the Gospel of Luke, and it tells of an incident in the home of Martha, Mary, and Lazarus. Now, Martha and Mary were sisters, and Lazarus was their brother. And they were friends of Jesus. They lived in a little village called Bethany, just a few miles east of Jerusalem. And tradition says that Martha was the oldest of them, that she was a widow, and that her sister Mary and her brother Lazarus came to live with her then. Now, we are told in Scripture of three incidents, three incidents involving them in the Scriptures. First, there is the story from earlier in Jesus' ministry, which we will read in just a moment. But second, and perhaps the best known of them, is the story that involves all three of these siblings when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. But third, then, there is the story near the end of Jesus' ministry when Mary poured out a bottle of expensive perfume on Jesus as an expression of her love for him. Now, there were many people that wanted to see Jesus, that wanted to be around him. But as Jesus would make quite clear, he really wasn't interested in big crowds for the sake of big crowds. What he was really interested in were people who would follow him, be his true disciples, who would listen to his word and then act upon it. As he told the Samaritan woman at the well, he said, the father is seeking worshipers, those who would worship him in spirit and in truth. Jesus would challenge his listeners to take up their cross, to die to self and to follow him. He would challenge people to listen carefully to his words and to obey. Now, Jesus had just told the parable of the good Samaritan, and he was now on his way again when he stopped at Martha's home. Let's look in Luke chapter 10, starting in verse 38. It says, Now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving. And she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore, tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, 
And Mary has chosen that good part, which will not be taken away from her. So first off, I want us to focus here on the good part. This series of messages is on prayer, but I think this story wonderfully sets up a right attitude for us in prayer. And that is an attitude of worship, the good part. Jesus was welcomed into the home of Martha here. Now, the meal that would be served was necessary, but it wasn't the most important thing at that point. And you know, it's true that sometimes we can be so wrapped up in the things that we must do that we neglect the most important thing, the best thing, the good part of it all. Now, Does God want you to do for him or does he want your heart? He wants our heart. Now, it's true. There are things that God wants us to do, right? But he wants us to do those things out of, first and foremost, out of a heart for him, right? He wants your heart. There are things to do. It's important to do those things, but it's not the best thing. It's not the best part. So in this story, we see one woman, Mary, who understood what the most important thing was. And then we see another woman, Martha, who didn't understand that and who was consumed with worry. We see two focuses here, a focus on worship and a focus on work. Mary was focused on worship while Martha was focused on work. Mary's focus was on Jesus, listening to his words, enjoying his company, worshiping him. Now, it's not that the work didn't need to get done. It did, and it would, but Mary understood that there was a time to put the work aside for a while and to commune with Jesus, sitting at his feet. Mary was devoted to him, and she wanted to hear And listen to everything that he said. She had an attitude of worship. And we would see that attitude of utter love and devotion sometime later when she would take that bottle of expensive perfume and anoint him with that shortly before the crucifixion. But Martha was busy, she was distracted, and she was anxious. She didn't have time to sit at Jesus' feet. She needed an attitude adjustment. She was so busy attending to the details of what needed to be done that she missed the main thing, the good part. Jesus says to her, you're so worried and you're troubled about many things. But one thing is needed and Mary has chosen that good part and it will not be taken from her. Some of us here, we want to we wanna defend Martha, don't we? We've got some Marthas here who want to defend Martha, don't we? I get that. I understand that. But again, is Jesus saying neglect responsibilities, don't do the work? No. He's saying what? He comes first. Worship comes first. What is that good part? Well, the good part is God himself. He is the good part. It's knowing him, listening to Jesus, focusing on him first. 
It is better to commune with him than to be worried and upset about everything you have to get done. So Mary had the joy and the privilege of sitting at Jesus' feet, seeing him and hearing him directly in the flesh. Don't you wish we could do that? Do you know you're going to have that opportunity one day? But right now, we can't commune with him in the flesh like that, but we can certainly commune with him, come into his presence and listen to him, can't we? How do we do that? Through his word, through prayer and worship. By meditating on his word, talking with him in prayer, sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, I've told this, this story before, but uh, there was uh, uh, a woman who was very important in my life who was the mother of a good friend of mine. Her name was Jill. And she and her husband led a Bible study for us when we were in high school, a high school group. And, uh, and there were some things that she said. And one of the things uh, that she said, first of all, she always emphasized the need for balance, to, be, to maintain healthy biblical balance in, in all things. But one of the things that she would say is sometimes when somebody would be stressed out, and of course that was never me, but somebody else who might be stressed out and anxious about something, how she would take them aside and she would say, Honey, you need to sit at the feet of Jesus for a while. Right? Instead of getting worried and anxious, you need to come away and sit at the feet of Jesus for a while. And I need that reminder from time to time. So worship and prayer, communing with Jesus. Now, it doesn't make all of our problems go away, do that, does it? But what worship can do and what prayer can do is to bring us peace and perspective in the midst of life's pressures and responsibilities and problems. You see, God is the good part. Knowing him, talking with him, that's the good part. That's the best thing. So I want to move on now in Luke chapter 11, started with verse 1, verses 1 through 13. As I said, we're going to be spending some time in this passage right here in which the disciples asked Jesus, saying, Lord, teach us to pray. They said, I would pray that the Lord would teach us to pray as well as we read through this passage over the next few weeks and listen to what God is saying to us through it. So here we're told, now it came to pass as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. And so he said to them, when you pray, say, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us day by day our daily bread and forgive us our sins. For we also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. And do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And he said to them, which of you shall have a friend and go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves. For a friend of mine has come to me on his journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within and say, 
Do not trouble me. The door is now shut, and my children are with me in bed. I cannot rise and give to you. I say to you, though he will not rise and give to him because he is his friend, yet because of his persistence, he will rise and give him as many as he needs. So I say to you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks it will be opened. If the son asks for bread from any father among you, will he give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will he give him a serpent instead of a fish? Or if he asks for an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Good stuff there, isn't it? Like I said, we're going to camp on this for a little while here. But for today then, teach us to pray. I said, may we all say of the Lord here, Lord, Teach us to pray. Not just teach us about prayer, but what? Teach us to pray, to pray. Not just to know more about it, but to do it, to pray. It says there, now as it came to pass, he was praying in a certain place, and when he ceased, that one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, as John also taught his disciples. You know, Jesus' disciples were impacted by how they saw Jesus pray. Now, in those days, if you were to pray, you were taught, okay, here, here, here are things to pray, and they were, very, they were remote, and they were very formulaic. Now, I know that we here in the church, we never do anything that is just by rote or is formulaic, right? We just, uh, we are constantly just opening up our hearts and minds in spontaneous praise and prayer, right? We don't just go through the motions and say the same things over and over again, do we? No, we sometimes do that, right? We have a tendency to just kind of mindlessly repeat things and to pray those without really engaging in the heart. And so isn't it kind of, it's, there's an irony here that when Jesus is saying, you know, they're saying, how, how, how can we pray? And he gives them a prayer, which is what? To encourage them in relationship and spontaneity. We've kind of turned it into this thing that we just mindlessly repeat, though, right? We call it the Lord's Prayer. Say the Lord's Prayer. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, right? It's kind of, there's a touch of irony there in that with what we've done with that. So the disciples were impacted by how they saw him pray, that it was different. I said, Lord, teach us to pray. We want to pray like that, how you do. So teach us to pray. I want us to see three, three key ideas that come into, into, into motion here. Worship, petition, and persistence. Worship, petition, and persistent worship is what? meditating on the character of God, the attributes of God. Petition means is that's a fancy word meaning what? To, 
to ask, to ask for something. And persistence means don't give up. We don't quit. Worship, petition, and persistence. And today then, I want us to focus on worship, our attitude toward God. Now, here is the part where I'm going to turn on that fire hose, all right? Let's do behold your God. Where is this attitude of worship coming from? Well, because he says right there, that first one, Father, hallowed or holy be your name. Your name is holy. Jesus starts off, first of all, this was an unusual thing for people to be encouraged to pray to and address God, Almighty God, the sovereign Lord of the universe, as their Father, the Heavenly Father. You know, I, I know for some of us here, when we, we, when we hear that term, the Heavenly Father, we can't help but have our, our image or our idea of God as a Father is impacted perhaps by our own relationship that we have had with an earthly Father. And for some of us, that is a good thing. You know, when we had good or godly or loving earthly fathers. But for some of us, we didn't know that. We didn't experience that. And that can affect our relationship and our, and our knowledge and our, our thinking of God as our Heavenly Father. But I want you to know, I want you to imagine when, when Jesus says for us to call God our Father, our Heavenly Father, it's in that sense of what a good father is and is to be. And even the best earthly father is nothing like the heavenly father, is he? So whether you had a good earthly father or not, I want you to encourage you to look at God, our father, as our heavenly father. If you had a good father, you had some examples of, yes, God the Heavenly Father is like that in some ways, but maybe if you didn't, your Heavenly Father is very different from how your earthly father was. So he says, Heavenly Father, Father, holy, hallowed, or holy is your name. Now in the scriptures, someone's name stands for that person, for their character, for their attributes, what they are like. And so Jesus starts this prayer by acknowledging and worshiping the Heavenly Father and saying, your name is holy. You are holy. Your name is who he is. You are holy. That's worship. That's an attitude of worship there. So I want us to take some time then just to reflect on who is this God that we pray to? What is God like? Well, the first thing we would say that we see right there is God is holy. He is infinitely, unchangingly perfect. There is no moral flaw or or defect in him. He is perfectly perfect pure, righteous, unchangingly perfect. See in Revelation 4, 8, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. Isaiah was given that vision and the angels, what were they proclaiming? Holy, holy, holy 
is the Lord God Almighty. So the word holy, it means sacred or set apart, revered. And yet, none of those words can adequately describe the awesome holiness of our God. John MacArthur writes this about God's holiness. He says, of all the attributes of God, holiness is the one that most uniquely describes him and in reality is a summation of all of his other attributes. The word holiness refers to his separateness, his otherness, the fact that he is unlike any other being. It indicates his complete and infinite perfection. Holiness is the attribute of God that binds all the others together. And so to say that God is holy means that he is endlessly always perfect. Endlessly and always perfect. Because God is holy, he must and he will uphold righteousness in his created order. He will judge all sin. His wrath is unleashed at sin. But as we're told, thankfully though, what? The Christian, you will never experience God's holy wrath poured out. Why? Because that holy wrath was already poured out on Jesus for you. So through Christ's death and resurrection, the penalty for our sins was paid and we were credited with Christ's righteousness. And so when God looks upon you, he sees Christ's perfect holiness in you. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) In Christ, God sees his perfect holiness in you. Now you and I, we don't yet embody that perfect holiness, do we? But one day, we will. And God sees that right now in you. But here are some other attributes of God then as we worship him. This one, holy is your name. God is infinite. That is, he is self-existing and without origin. You know, the, the, the classic uh, question of, the, of the, the child is, right, is where did God come from, right? We talk about how everything in this world in the created order has a beginning, doesn't it? It came from something. Nothing didn't come from nothing, did it? Everything came from something, and what is that something? Ultimately, is God. And someone said, well, well, where did God come from? Well, you see, that's the point, is God is the something that has always been, and is, and it is not dependent on anything else for its existence, for his existence. He has no origin, and he is self-existent. That is, he was not created. He has always existed forever. And that's difficult for us to kind of get our, wrap our minds around that, isn't it then? But one uh, author, A.W. Tozer, says, to admit that there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all of our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries, this requires a great deal of humility more than most of us possess. 
So we save face by thinking God down to our level or at least down to where we can manage him. We can't manage him, can we? We can't bring him down to our level. I don't understand how God always was and is and always will be, how he had no beginning, no origin, and how his existence is, he is the ground of his own being with no beginning. But that's who he is. He's holy. He is self-existent. He is also immutable. That means he never changes. God, his attributes are the same from the beginning of time into eternity. His character never changes. God never gets better and he never gets worse. His plans don't change. His promises do not change. You know, this is something that is kind of creeping into the church. It's a a theology called open theism, which is this idea that somehow God God is growing, God is evolving, God is changing. Can one who is perfect change? No. So if God was growing or evolving or changing or learning, he's not perfect, is he? And he's not the God of the Bible, right? So God doesn't change. Are you glad for that? You ought to be. I am. Sam Storms writes this about this. He says, what all this means very simply is that God is dependable. Our trust in him is therefore a confident trust, for we know that he will not, indeed cannot, change. His purposes are unfailing. His promises unassailable. It is because the God who promised us eternal life is immutable, he doesn't change, that we may rest assured that nothing, not trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword, shall separate us from the love of Christ. It is because Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever, that neither angels nor demons, neither the present, the future, not even powers, height, depth, anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Aren't you glad that God is never going to change his mind about you? Have you had a person in your life change their mind about you? Probably. (laughs) God will never do that. He will never change his mind about you. He will never change his purposes toward you. He does not change. He is self-sufficient. That is, he has no needs. Human being, boy, we are needy, aren't we? We have needs. Some of us look at others and think, now there's a person that has needs, right? But the truth is, is that all of us are needy have needs, don't we? But you see, God has no needs. He is perfectly fulfilled in himself. And so what does that mean for you and me? Well, we who do have needs, where can we find the source, the ultimate source for fulfilling all of our needs? This is in God then, right? When I was a little kid, there was a Sunday school teacher who I think was trying to be helpful. But even as a little kid, it wasn't setting right with me. But this Sunday school teacher one one day said that, well, 
you know, well, why did God make us? You know, or, or why were why were we made? And 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 the teacher suggested, well, you see, it was God was lonely, and so he wanted some friends, and so he made us. <laughs> so there's eight-year-old Dan saying, "Uh-uh, I'm not buying that." No. How many of you think that that might be find that hard to believe that I was arguing with the Sunday school teacher at eight years old? No, I was, and I was pointing out, "No, nope, that's not right. God wasn't lonely." All right. Because God is love, he made us, right? Not because he was lonely. See, so God has no needs. And so because God is self-sufficient, we can go to him to satisfy all of our needs. And we never have to worry about drying up his never-ending well of goodness, peace, mercy, and grace. And he is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power that is at work within us. And speaking of that power, God is omnipotent, all-powerful, which means he has unlimited, omni-all-potent power, all-powerful. He is able to do anything that he wills without any effort on his part. Important to note, anything he wills is part of it because God cannot do. Now there's some, I thought you said God can do, but there's some things God can't do though. God can't sin, he can't lie, right? God cannot do anything that is contradictory or contrary to his nature. So God's attribute of omnipotence, one author says, it means that God is able to do all that he desires to do. All that which is what is consistent with his holy nature. And so when he plans something, it will come to be. If he purposes something, it will happen. Nothing can prevent his plan. And when his hand is stretched out to do something, no one can turn it back. Omnipotence comes from those words, omni-all, potent, powerful. God's decisions are always in line with his character And he has the power to do whatever he wills to do. What does that mean for you and me? The fact that God is omnipotent, that he can do all that he wills to do in your life and in my life. Nothing can prevent him from doing that. Actually, there is something that can get in the way, though. What can get in the way of the purposes of God in our lives? ourselves so if our hearts are submitted to him and his will is there anything that can stop it then no no God is omniscient he knows all things he knows everything God perfectly knows himself and he is the source and author of all things and so it follows that he knows all that can be known and he knows this instantly and with a fullness of perfection that includes every possible item of knowledge concerning everything that exists or could have existed anywhere in the universe at any time in the past or that may exist in the centuries or ages yet unborn. That's a pretty powerful definition of omniscience and knowing all things, isn't it, right? And so because God knows all things means what? That we can trust him, that he knows everything we're going through today, everything we will go through tomorrow, and we meditate on this truth and in other lights of his attributes like love, it makes it easier then for us to trust him 
with our lives and all that is going on. God is omnipresent, omnipresent, meaning what? He is always present everywhere in all places at all times. There is no place where we can say God isn't there. He is there. He is present everywhere. And so does that mean that you are ever alone? Are you ever out of his presence? No. So it says this ought to bring deep comfort to Christians who struggle with loneliness and deep sorrow. In a very real way, God is always near us, closer than our thoughts. Tozer says the knowledge that we are never alone calms the troubled sea of our lives and speaks peace to our soul. God knows all things, but God is also wise. He is infinitely wise. Wisdom is more than just knowledge or intellect, isn't it? A truly wise person is someone who understands all the facts and makes the best decisions. A wise person uses their heart, their soul, and their mind together with skill and competence. But even the wisest person on earth can't even come anywhere close to being as wise as God. This means that God always makes the right choices and the best choices, and he brings them out in the best way to make that happen. God has a purpose in your life, and he is all wise and bringing that to fulfillment. Sometimes we find ourselves in a mess, and we say, I know this is very rare. Most of us have our lives completely together and never have any problems, right? But for the one or two of among us who, uh, whose life has some messes occasionally, right? Can God figure out what to do about it? Sure can. And he can also, he is so wise that he can take that mess and do what with it? Turn it into something good in our lives. Because he's all wise to do that. God is faithful. That is, he's infinitely, unchangingly true. He always fulfills his promises. He never forgets anything. He never fails to do anything he has set out to do. He never changes his mind and he never takes a promise back. Because of that, again, we can entrust ourselves to him. God is good. That is, he's infinitely, unchangingly kind and full of good will. Tozer says, the goodness of God disposes him to be kind cordial, benevolent, and full of goodwill toward us. He is tender-hearted, of quick sympathy, and his unfailing attitude toward all moral beings is open, frank, and friendly. By his nature, he is inclined to bestow blessedness, and he takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. I like that. He takes holy pleasure in the happiness of his people. Stay tuned for that. Not Coming real soon here, but coming eventually, we're going we're gonna to talk about that, about happiness and God's happiness and our own. That's another time, though. God is just. He is infinitely, unchangeably right and perfect in all he does. God will deal perfectly with every transgression. Does this mean then that so, that so you and I, do we have to take out vengeance on others? No, we can leave that to God who is perfectly just. And in fact, God tells, Jesus tells us what? To pray for our enemies. Why should we pray? Because he's perfectly just. We better pray for them, right? Absolutely. He's perfectly just. 
But God is also merciful. Aren't you glad for that? He is perfectly just, but he's merciful. Because he's merciful, it means he's forgiving and lovingly kind toward us and compassionate toward us. His mercy means he does not give us what we deserve sometimes. But to go along with his mercy is what? His grace. Because he's merciful, he does not give us always the punishment that we're due. But because he is gracious, he not only doesn't give us the punishment, he gives us what? Goodness. He gives us grace, getting what we do not deserve. Goodness, eternal life. God is love. He is infinitely, unchangingly loving toward you. Do you believe that? And finally, God is glorious. He is infinitely beautiful and great. John Piper defines God's glory like this. He says, The glory of God is the infinite beauty and greatness of God's manifold perfections. The infinite beauty, and I am focusing on the manifestation of his character and his worth and his attributes, all of his perfections and greatness are beautiful as they are seen, and there are many of them. They are manifold, the many greatness, greatnesses of God. God's beauty and his grace, his glory then. So he said we're doing this series of messages on prayer. I want us to start off with what I think is a proper attitude toward God. Who, are the one, who is the one to whom we are praying? He's our Heavenly Father whose name is holy. Behold, your God. This is the God to whom we pray. So what? What do you want me to do about all this here today? I'd remind us with this. Jesus has taught us to worship and petition our holy, heavenly Father with shameless persistence. Today, we're focused on worship. Next time, we'll look at petition. And then we'll look at that shameless persistence that he wants us to, and why he wants us to be so persistent. And then wrap that all up with the discipline. Uh Uh-oh, there's that word discipline. The discipline of prayer in our lives. So here's my question. Which will you choose today? Worry or worship? So which will you choose today? Worry or worship? Let's pray. Lord, thank you that we who have no right in and of ourselves to come before you can do so because we are in Christ. Thank you, Lord, that in in him we have perfect righteousness. We have the forgiveness of sin. We have the gift of eternal life. And we have the right of access to come boldly before your throne of grace. Heavenly Father, holy is your name. As we learn more about prayer, Lord, I pray that we wouldn't just learn more about it, but that we would do it. That we would give you the honor that you are due that your spirit would mold and direct our hearts and our desires, that we might ask for what you want us to ask, Lord, and that we would not give up, that we would persistently pursue you, all for the honor of your name and the glory of your name. May your will be accomplished in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. 
For more information about Wonder Lake Bible Church, visit wlbiblechurch.org.